The highly anticipated Ben Fred Fridays on Scoops with Danny Mac, brought to you by Mark Milton. And if you have IRS problems, visit markmilton.com. Mark Milton, stltaxlawyer.com. stltaxlawyer.com. If you have IRS problems, visit Mark Milton. And he is based right here in St. Louis, helping clients across the country. Remember, the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely on advertising. We're coming to you from the Lou Fuse Automotive Studios Holiday season is here. Looking for a vehicle? Visit Fuse.com. And we say good morning to Ben Fredrickson at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Good morning, Ben. How are you? Happy Friday, Dan. Doing well, man. Doing well and excited to talk some baseball. I know Cardinals fans are feeling like, all right, what's going to happen? Let's go. The hot stove. Why isn't it firing? But some good news. Winter meetings are just around the corner. I'll be headed to San Diego and uh, I hope, fingers crossed, Dan, it'll be a a busy winter meetings. You sure feel like with multiple teams that used to not really care that much about winning now caring about winning with tougher schedules across baseball um, teams wanting to get in and get active. We've already seen some movement in certain markets. You hope it's a busy winter meetings and not one of those ones where you feel like you're sitting around watching paint dry in the uh in the hotel there yeah i uh had the chance to visit with ken rosenthal that is on the website at scoops with that was yesterday and then wednesday got into it with brian walton uh from the talking about the rule changes in the game and i think the rule changes could affect what teams do and how they address their teams. You need to be more athletic on the infield because of the shift, and the shift is going to affect left-handed batters. So I'm really fascinated with those two things, and pitchers, too. They're going to have to speed up. What does that mean with guys that uh, maybe run out of gas a little bit earlier, or the lack of spin rate, lack of max effort, all those things? I I think that's kind of a fascinating byproduct of what could happen at the winter meetings uh, next week. Well, one of them is going to directly impact the Cardinals, and then one of the rules could directly impact a Cardinal individually. The Cardinals need, we think, a left-handed bat for this lineup. Um, you know, when when John Mozeliak has mentioned, you know, the specifics of this off-season search, there are years when Mo's very very direct, and then there are years where he's more vague. He's been vague this year in in kind of where that bat could play or what it could look like, but he's been very clear that they want some sort of protection for Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, and he's been very specific that they need a primary catcher. So hopeful to see those things advance at winter meetings, but that bat that they want, they haven't said specifically it has to be left-handed, but when you look at the Cardinals' struggles at times against right quality right-handed pitching, and you look at you know the, the way that we think the shift ban is going to help boost left-handed hitting, it would probably you know make a lot of sense for the Cardinals to specifically target a left-handed hitter, even if they're open to whether that's an outfielder or a DH candidate, potentially a shortstop, depending on the way that market plays out. Left-handed hitting is, is what they need. And we've seen in the minors, um, Joel Sherman of the New York Post had a great article about this recently. We've seen in the minors the average go up when the shift is banned. Um, We've seen, you know, we have reason to believe teams are starting to value left-handed hitting more. You saw what the Giants did. We we could sit there and talk about Jack Peterson potentially being a good fit for the Cardinals. Well, the Giants gave him the qualifying offer and he accepted it. So that tells you that that teams are starting to look at these guys a little bit differently. Jack Peterson signed for like one year, five million last year. He's quadrupled that by accepting the qualifying offer. 
maybe it winds up helping a guy like Matt Carpenter. We'll see. But it seems like lefties, uh, their contracts are going to go up, the left-handed hitters. And then on the other side, the, the specific Cardinal that the, the rule change will affect, how about a guy like Dakota Hudson, Dan, who takes forever? I mean, Giovanni Gallegos. Yeah, you could time these guys with an hourglass at times. And I'm of the mindset these guys are going to adjust. They're elite athletes. And I think specifically, I think it's going to help Dakota. Uh, now, we'll see if Dakota's back. Maybe he gets included in a package for a catcher. Well, who knows? But I think the fact that he's going to have to adjust and have to attack, he's at his best when he's on his toes. And for whatever reason, it got so slogged down in his first year back from Tommy John. I think it's going to help him and, and force him to attack a little bit more. So I think these guys will adjust. But if you can't, it could be a rough year for a pitcher. Well, the other thing, too, is Anthony Rizzo gets two years and $40 million. So great, that, great point. Yeah, you know that, and in conjunction with Jock Peterson getting what he got, left-handed ground ball average was two nineteen last year. That was the lowest in twenty years. But in the shift, I was doing the numbers. The lefties saw that fifty-five percent of the time. There were sixty-one thousand shifts last year. Left-handed batters saw fifty-five percent of them. So if you eliminate the shift. Uh, and the majority of those are going against left-handed batters, it should tell you that lefties are going to be at a premium because it's going to come back to maybe what we saw baseball look like maybe 10 years ago. And that's why front offices are saying, okay, who are the lefty bats out there? Let's take a look and let's go get them. If you're the Cardinals, um, you know, does that make a guy like like Joey Gallo interesting? Exactly. Um, you know, that, he, you, did, he couldn't you just handle New York. But, 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 but clearly, you know, he's he's a better player than we saw there. His value could go up. I, I'm interested. You know, there's been so much discussion about the idea of a Matt Carpenter reunion. To me, that's a lot of baggage that uh, that I don't know. I mean, the Cardinals, they suffered under that extension they gave Matt. I can't imagine them rushing to bring that back, although they love Matt. And clearly he rebounded well with the Yankees. He's a much better hitter at Yankee Stadium. And that's not going to change regardless of the shift. But I, I would probably not go that direction. However. One of the guys who fixed Matt Carpenter is now the, the Cardinals bench coach. I don't think you can ignore that connection either, but somebody who can hit left-handed and kind of be a, be a guy who's capable of being around the middle of the order would sure help this lineup. And I, I don't think you want to put, not that he's a left-handed hitter, but I don't think you want to put that pressure on a guy like Jordan Walker, who I know you and I are both excited about, but it's different for him to show up and hit down in the order and try to start every game than it is showing up and from day one you're expected to be the guy who helps take pressure and 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 help Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado get better get better pitches to hit that that feels like asking a lot it's one of the reasons that we talk left-handed talk top of the order guy you know to me a guy like Brandon Nimmo could make a lot of sense for the Cardinals but Danny gets hurt too often and you know, he probably is going to be overpaid based off the great season he just had, but it was better than all his other years. So he's kind of in line to be that overpaid outfielder. However, if you could if you could keep him on the field, he could absolutely help this team. Unfortunately, his agent is Scott Boris, and Scott Boris is going to try to convince everybody he's Mike Trout. You know, it's amazing. I'm going to hit you with this, and it is pretty shocking. I just want to get your reaction. In the major leagues last year, on average – you had to wait four minutes for a single ball to be in play. Four Gross. minutes. 
man. It's, and you, you've had to fill a lot of that airtime. That's man. a lot so of airtime, man. Hopefully this makes things better for, <laughs> for you. Uh, hopefully it makes things better for the riders on deadline. Uh, we're selfish. We'll admit it. But I'll say this, you know, every we talk about these rule changes and everyone has unintended consequences. You start speeding pitchers up and maybe, uh, you know, may, maybe it maybe they, they, they can't they can't figure it out or, you know, so you have to worry about some of this stuff, but the big ones are, Hey, you take away the shift. It's going to change how defense is played. You, you put the three batter minimum in, it's going to eliminate certain jobs for pitchers. Like Randy, Randy Choate doesn't have a job. If that rule exists when he's playing this rule though, it just cuts off like a half an hour on average of dead time from games. And these guys are elite athletes. They're going to adjust. I think this is the smartest, most, the the least least kind of ripple effect causing rule change you could make you talk to some of these minor league guys they get used to it they start to like it you talk to the folks who cover or attend or are involved with the minor leagues brian walton would be a great testament to this you know he covers it diligently it's more enjoyable everybody's having more fun going to the ballpark where there's a speedy kind of downhill game being played and there's just not as much sitting around watching. You actually have to worry about missing something when you go up to get that hot dog. So I'm a big fan of this. I wish they would have put it in sooner. I'm, I'm thrilled that it's here now, and I hope that uh, I hope I hope it has the same result that we've seen in the minors. Well, the the interesting part, and I, I think it'll get a lot of play at the winter meetings um, because it's going to become more front and center as we get closer to spring training. I think you would agree with that. Is It's been talked about so much, and now it's going to be implemented. It'll be up to the umpires to implement this uh, to make sure that it happens. But the pitch timer last year, roughly 25 minutes a game, was shaved off in the minors. So, you know, it took a little time, maybe like one to three weeks, I think is what Theo Epstein, who's a part of the, the committee heading this up, went to the GM meetings, and, and that's what he told the, the group there. It's like, it took like the minor leaguers one to three weeks to adjust. I would imagine it takes major leaguers a little bit longer for that. But the other thing that I think that we're going to see, and I, I love this, and I think the Cardinals will benefit from this, an overlooked benefit of the shift is athleticism those that can play defense. You know, there's pressure now on defensive players. And if you look at what the Cardinals have currently constructed, you've got maybe the best third baseman defensively ever at third. You've got a really good shortstop and a really good second baseman and a great first baseman defensively. I don't care what the defensive war is. Get it out of here. That's a joke. Uh, So (laughs) players will dictate the game more defensively not the analytics of a front office and their algorithm and positioning players late in a game. I think that's good, and I think it's going to benefit the Cardinals, and they're built for that. So I, I like what's happening here. Yeah, the Cardinals should be poised to benefit well from the shift ban in part because they were not one of the teams that shifted a ton in the first place. And why didn't they? Because they, more more times than not, have athletic defenders on the infield. Now, they're, they're they'll stick whoever they they can, they want to hit out in left field. And I think they're going to probably continue to do that, but you got to think twice now about sticking a can't field guy at second base. You got to think twice now about a guy's range and how you calibrate that into kind of what they can do. It, it makes me wonder what the market could wind up being for a guy like Paul DeYoung. I know Cardinals fans are not thrilled about DeYoung, you know, maybe being back on this team with some of the offensive struggles he's had. I'm not convinced he will be, 
but I can see how a team that maybe thinks they can help him offensively could value him more now because of his range and his defensive ability at shortstop. There are teams, the Cardinals are not one of them, that have been cheating pretty hard in terms of how they have looked overlooked some defensive flaws from infielders. And now you can't do that as much. Now, I guess you can pack the infield with, you know, with as many infielders as you want, but then you're sacrificing the outfield. And, you know, we know that guys are going to try to be driving the ball. So that's one of the things that's interesting. You can still have overloaded infields, right? But you have to have them split up evenly on the uh, on, on both sides of second base. So I'm curious to see if we see more of that potentially, but you're going to be giving up, you know, risks there. It just makes the gambles a little, uh, a little more in favor of the hitters at times. And, and I think it encourages defense, which the Cardinals are smart. They have, they have really tried to get more athletic defensively and they've got a couple guys now in Edmund and Donovan who can be sound defensively just about anywhere you put them and that should help them. So hopefully that, that helps the Cardinals in terms of overall run suppression. And I think it also has to help Dan guys, pitchers who can get the ball on the ground now, because now you're going to have, you know, you're going to have those defenses being rewarded and it's going to be more about what your fielders can do. Not so much what your, your spray chart and your analytics tell you. You know, the Cardinals and the rest of major league baseball, they're, they're going to gather for the first time in a long time. Uh, it's been a long time since everybody got into their suites and face-to-face meetings and whatnot. Uh, and there's always surprises that come out of the winter meetings. So I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's great. I think it's great for the sports, great for the fans. The question is, if you're a Cardinal fan, what are you expecting next week? So I'll ask you, what do you, what do you think comes out of next week if you're a Cardinal fan? Well, it would sure be nice if the Cardinals could leave with a catcher or a very good feel for who their catcher is going to be. Um, they are going to do the traditional Cardinals thing in certain areas where they kind of hang out and see what happens. I, I think they can sit around and see if if a shortstop, Dansby Swanson, Xander Bogarts, it winds up having to take a smaller or at least a shorter term deal. Someone is going to have to kind of be the Carlos Correa of this year's class. Maybe they hang out and watch on that and, and maybe do the same thing on on pitching and that bat that they're chasing, but they have been very direct and clear that they need a catcher. And they've been very direct and clear over the past decade plus, Dan, of what that position means to them. This is not a, a spot for the Cardinals for where they should say, hey, we're going to see what the market does and we'll go get whoever's left. No, they, they view this as a very important position. They have been candid that their their hope of producing someone who's just absolutely ready to take the baton from Yadi or Molina. It didn't work out like they hoped. Um, I think they see potential for Kisner, certainly for Avon Herrera, but they're not ready right now. So they need a primary catcher and, and they should not settle for anything other than the one they think is the best. Now, whether that's a free agent, a Vasquez or a Wilson Contreras, or it's a, you know, a trade for a Sean Murphy or one of the guys from Toronto, they have a list and they know majority vote who their best option is go out and get them whether it's a trade that you conduct and you negotiate here at winter meetings or it's a free agent signing don't wait around on what you've identified as a the biggest need but also a critical position so it would be really nice if they could make some headway there and it sounds like the market's starting to to heat up Contreras has been talking to the Astros Um, you also had the Cubs talking to Vasquez so there's catcher conversations happening in advance of winter meetings. So the Cardinals need to be in the thick of those because they've really 
identified that as their biggest need this offseason. Switch gears. I had the call a couple of nights ago uh, of the SLU basketball game against Tennessee State, and they won the game, which they should. I don't care if it's Tennessee State or it's KU or North Carolina. When you get 20 assists in a Division <laughs> One game, that's awfully impressive, and he probably could add more. And I'm talking about Yuri Collins. There was a couple of uh, gimmies that guys missed. Man, is he one hell of a player. He, he is some kind of player, and he's averaging now – Oh, after the other night, so he came in, I think, at 10.4. He had the 20. He's probably up to like 12 or 13 uh, assists a game, and I think he only had two turnovers the other night. I mean, man, oh, man, this is some kind of player we're watching right now. Well, that's the difference is he's cutting back on the turnovers, which makes him that much more impressive. He has a gift, and it's the ability to see the court, to read his teammates, to put passes in places, not where his teammates are, but where they're going to be. And we've watched these guys, you know, the Gibson Jimmersons of the world, develop that trust with Yuri where basically if your shoes are tied, your hands better be ready or else the ball could be hitting you in the face. And they've got that figured out. So when it when it clicks, it's it's a beautiful thing to watch. And college basketball with elite point guards is so special. It's so fun to watch. It's so brutal to watch a team that doesn't have a point guard or a guy who can command the ball, deliver passes, and it's just a joy. So if you haven't watched this kid play, Go watch him because it's a real treat. And I think SLU is in this spot now where they have had a big win against Memphis. They they fumbled a chance to get a, a big win against Maryland by, by really a disappointing performance on a neutral court. Then they had a, a heck of a game, but a disappointing ending. They couldn't finish at Auburn, which was a chance for a big win. So what they have to do now, Dan, is really get back to protecting their home court. They've got a, a, a run of non-conference games against some tough opponents here that are not going to look great if you drop a home game on your NCAA tournament resume. So that's what they had to do headed into 8-10 play. They've got to find a way to get better at finishing games. And you hate to put more pressure on a guy who's already doing so much, but I think the answer has got to be Yuri Collins, Dan. He has to be as good you know, in the final five minutes against Auburn as he is for a whole game against Tennessee State, um, they've got to find ways to to slam the door because they're a team that should be able to, and they're going to have some close calls in, in A-10 play, and I think you got to start with him and ask him to be basically everything because he can score, he can pass, he can defend, and he is the heart and soul of this team. So when he's on the on his best game, they're at their best. We've seen it, and we've seen him you know, miss a few beats at times and them struggle because of it. Well, they've got uh, the Salukis of Southern Illinois tomorrow, another MVC opponent, and I'm sure Chaffetz will be rocking that game at three, and you can see that on TV. So this time last week we were talking about Mizzou taking on Arkansas. They win that game. They become bowl eligible. And now the transfer portal, here we go. College football, (laughs) away we go. It's the wild, wild west. That's the way it is. Hey, I I don't begrudge a kid for going out and getting the most money he can. I, I find it funny to an extent where all these coaches are upset about it it's like well you you guys have been doing this for years you, you've been finding the best deal you could find for years where the kids yeah. are left out in the cold so now you know now you got to deal with it and trying to keep your kids re-recruit them find the nil money all that kind of stuff so it's the wild wild west right now especially for mizzou i've yet to see a coach say hey i'm so against the transfer phenomenon that i'm not going to accept any transfer players into my program no and I'll, I'll be the first coach who puts it into this by saying we're just not going to take transfers no if you're going to you know take from the market you also can't be uh can't cry foul when the market takes from you that's just the way that's just the way it works and 
there's really, I think, kind of three types of transfers going on right now. And unfortunately for, for Mizzou and Eli Drinkwitz, they're experiencing all three. One is quarterbacks, Dan. If you're not the starting quarterback and you're good enough to be at a Power 5 program, there's a very good chance that you could transfer somewhere where you can play. And whether that's down a level or to a, a you know a less competitive conference, so that's hard to resist. I mean, if you're Tyler Macon and you have not snipped the field in any meaningful capacity, and you're you have a chance to go to a different school, a lower conference, and play every game, it's hard for me to begrudge anybody who takes that opportunity. Now, I would have loved to see Tyler Macon change positions. I think he could have maybe done some different things within the offense. He wants to play quarterback. So he's going to go find some place that he feels like he can do that. No harm, no foul. And I think Eli Drinkwood says, hey, thanks for being a good teammate. Sorry it didn't work out. Best of luck. The other guys, similar but different positions, backups. If you feel like you can transfer somewhere else and play more, then and you haven't you know, broken through yet at your current school and you're an, you know, trending toward an upperclassman, it's hard to resist an opportunity to go play more. Everybody wants to play. You don't go to college to sit on the sideline. I think Mizzou's seeing some of that. The ones that you have to avoid and the ones that are going to sting, and now Eli has another one, and Dominic Lovett, Dan, it's the guy who was already starring. Um, Dominic Lovett was this team's best receiver this season. If you look at his production as a sophomore, what he did in terms of targets, receptions, yards per game, he didn't have the touchdowns, but everything else was there. Why he thinks he needs to go somewhere else Um, I don't understand. I mean, if it's about the NIL money, then maybe he feels like he can make more. If it's about him feeling like he's playing second fiddle to Luther Burden, he wasn't. He was the best receiver on the field. So that one confuses me a little bit because I don't know where he's going to go and be as 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 big of a threat for an offense than he is right now. So I hope he's getting good advice and I hope it works out for him. But it, those are the ones that I question, and those are the ones that keep you up at night as a coach because you felt like you were giving the guy everything he could want. Hey, did you see what uh, Big Rig did the other day? Did I did it? not. Uh, Patty Maroon? You didn't see no, this. Oh, the, the, the donation. I, 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 I saw a headline. I have not read it into it. So uh, Jack Edwards, the, the voice of the uh, Bruins, uh, mused about uh, – how big he is, he said, quote, he's listed 238 pounds. That was day one of training camp. Got a feeling he's had a few more pizzas between then and now. Uh, and then he said uh, something like inadvertent fasting for Pat Maroon is like four hours without a meal. But, hey, he's got three Stanley Cups in a row. Who can argue wow. with that formula? Um, and then he said, you know, nobody can argue with that success. He's won three Cups, yada, yada, yada. And Maroon got wind of that and responded via Twitter, and he announced he had made a 2000 donation, dollar donation in Edwards' name to Tampa Bay Thrives, nonprofit agency assisting those dealing with mental health issues in support of those struggling with mental health, bullying, and body image. Wow. You, you talk How about, about that response. You know, that you talk about <laughs> just a right hook, you know, and no just kidding. doing it, you know, just say, hey, okay, you, you had your say, this is my say. That's probably the best way to do it, isn't it? Well, hey, hopefully he'll match it. That would be the least he could, uh, the least he could do. Um, hey, as someone who saw Pat Maroon this off season, and this is my Pat Maroon story, he shows up to the. So Jason Mott every year does his cornhole challenge. He continues to do it. Patty's he awesome. No Patty is the best. Pat Maroon shows up there and, and doesn't do the hey, I'm Pat Maroon. 
you know, I have. I'm a hometown hero, baby. Yeah. No, Dan, he shows up and he played. He played cornhole all night, like with all of the average Joes. People are going up to him, taking pictures, all good. He went from there to Yadier Molina's fundraiser to uh, to see folks there. I mean, this guy is as as much your next door neighbor who's become a championship caliber athlete. Um, so that's a I love it. It doesn't surprise me. He's he's as real as real of a deal as it gets. And uh, this just adds to his legacy, man. I wish he was back here with the Blues. I, I still do. You know what? Too, he's got them soft mitts, baby. He's got them soft hands. <laughs> And also, he's not like I've seen him. He's he's actually pretty spelt for a for a for a big professional. He's got athlete. three he's cups. Not as, uh, he's not as come on. Uh, he's not a guy you should be body shaming. No, you you win three Stanley Cups. There's a role. There's a reason why teams want you. Come <laughs> no, on, no doubt. Get out of no here doubt. with that. That's I do ridiculous. like the flex though, because you know when the guy saw that headline, he goes, "Oh man." Oh well, <laughs> well, it it kind of it, it it went viral. And then other other people in media and around hockey, yeah. and I think other sports, but other players, they're like, "Yep, I'm on it. I donated mine." You know, guy started donating, so it just went viral. So he took something you know negative and turned it into a positive. Pretty I think awesome. it's great. Good he, for him. He, he's he's great, man. All right, buddy, I'm going to let you go. Uh, you are traveling out to the uh, West Coast, I would assume, this weekend. But what else are you yes, working sir. at at the uh, the Post Dispatch? I'm slacking until then, man. I'm being lazy. Um, and then I'll be out there starting Sunday. We'll have gobs of coverage from winter meetings, um, blogs, uh, chats, all that stuff. Folks can check it out at stltoday.com. And then by the time we get back, it'll be, uh, I think, Mizzou, Kansas basketball's coming up. We've got a, a world. They sold that out, by the way. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's you know, Mizzou is doing a, a good job. They're undefeated. They got a big win at, at Wichita State. So they're, they're, have a soft launch to their schedule, but I think Dennis Gates actually built it pretty well where this team's getting more and more confident. Now, I don't know if they're going to go out and beat KU, but the fact that they're playing well and learning each other and the fact that they're going to now have this big test, Kansas, Illinois, they got to jump right in against Kentucky and Arkansas. I think he's actually scheduled this thing pretty well. Tough win for them in overtime at Wichita State. So we're starting to see this team grow a little bit. So big month for Mizzou hoops and uh, bragging rights will be in St. Louis and Hopefully by that time we'll know who's going to be behind the plate for the Cardinals, Dan. Yeah, I would assume that we will. Uh, want to remind everybody, and by the way, I got the chance to MC the Ascension Charity Classic where they hand out uh, basically the, the money that's raised. Yeah. Almost a million and a half dollars awesome. off that golf awesome. tournament for North uh, St. Louis County. Um for for so many you know deserving charities, but that's just amazing, man. That's a you know basically a senior event. People coming out, the corporate community got behind it, and uh, that was really cool the other day. So on Sunday night, ten thirty, uh, the scoops of Danny Mac TV show on Channel Two. I'll visit with Nick Ragone. We have a behind the scenes long feature that takes you through the whole week, see what it's all about. It's really cool. I, I think people enjoy that, especially if you love golf. So tune into that at ten thirty, and uh, we'll catch up. I'm sure next week from the winter meetings. Sounds good, brother. Talk to you then. Have a great weekend. Safe travels. That's Ben Fredrickson. I'm Dan McLaughlin, and this is Scoops with DannyMac.com.